Hello and welcome to season two of Inforum's Meet Her podcast. My name is Terry Barclay and I'm president and CEO of Inforum, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. The Meet Her podcast series introduces listeners to women of accomplishment whose experiences and insights feed us all on our leadership journeys. And I am absolutely thrilled that joining me today is Jana Ferroti, Vice President, Talent Management and Organizational Effectiveness, Beaumont Health. And we are so proud that she is also a member of the Inforum Board of Directors. Welcome, Jana, and thank you so much for joining me today. Terry, thanks for having me today. Well, I know we've got a lot to cover and we need to jump right in. But first of all, I just have to express all of our sincere and deep thanks for everything that you and the leadership team that everyone in healthcare has done for us through, through the pandemic. Um, we are all just so grateful and thank you for that. So well, thank you, Terry. I appreciate that. And, and really uh, the thanks are to our, our frontline workers who are on the front lines every day, taking care of our patients. They're, they're truly amazing. Absolutely true. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> true. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's even hard to know how to express our appreciation. I know, um, I know we're all just so very grateful and I hope you will pass along our, our gratitude to the team. I absolutely will. So, so let's jump in though. Um, what's your understanding of implicit bias and how do you work on identifying and addressing your own hidden biases? Yeah, really implicit bias is uh, feelings or attitudes that we may have towards people. Um, based on how they look, maybe their religious preferences or something about them. And it, it, it's something we may not even know that we have, right? It's just a, a thought or possibly an re initial reaction. Um, and, you know, implicit bias is real. It's real in all of us. I think that's the first piece is you have to acknowledge mm -hmm. that um, even though it may be something that you think about or you work on, we all have implicit bias. We sure do. Um, <laughs> You know, and I think where, you know, it comes out in a lot of different ways. Um, but when I think about from a work standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, I think about when you're bringing on new members of your team and you're going through that interviewing process, it is really important that you include various people in the interviewing process and the recruitment process to make sure that you're hiring the most qualified candidate for the role. And that those, the, the implicit bias uh, doesn't sneak in without you even knowing and helping you make decisions. I think that in many cases, you see a lot of hiring and I call it the like, like me. Yes. <laughs> you see people hiring people that are like you, maybe the same gender, maybe the same ethnicity, maybe the same background mm -hmm. as you've progressed through your career or potentially your 
family background. And what that does to the team is it creates a team of like me's and doesn't necessarily diversify the thinking and the experiences that are brought to the table. And so in order to combat that, what I've done throughout my career is making sure I have a, have a lot of individuals that take part in the recruitment process and make sure I'm very conscious of those decisions that I don't have uh, teams of, of like me. And I think that sometimes that, that um, also, uh, drives decision-making around women in, in, in leadership roles and making sure that when you're putting together your interviewing teams and your selection teams, that it is very a very diversified group of, um, of interviewers. That's, that's really great advice. I, I always call that we, we, we like to hire mini me's, right? right. And, right. and it's not because it's not it's not out of a conscious sense of discrimination. I think people are, are trying to do their best and make the best decisions for, for their companies. It's just that we have to get much better and more disciplined as you outline in um, introducing, making sure we have diversity on the hiring side, um, uh, you know, to make sure that we're representing our customers and all of that, because it's it's almost impossible to do that on your own. You really need a team to help you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really that's a really good point. So, so you know, one of the things I'm really curious about is um, the rapid pace of change in healthcare. My goodness, um, <laughs> you've certainly lived through that um, sort of on steroids, right? This, yes, absolutely. <laughs> this last while. So, so how does that rapid pace of change within both your organization and the industry affect your leadership style? Maybe, maybe you could share a story about a time when you had to adapt to or implement real change. I think you probably have a lot of examples from which to choose. <laughs> yes, yes. Just in the last handful of months. Absolutely. Um, I think we've all as leaders throughout this pandemic, no matter what industry we're in, have had to really change our leadership styles or leadership approaches based on what's ha been happening around us, right? Um, I think the, the most obvious is kind of this uh, movement of work from home, right? And how um, you lead individuals and teams that aren't necessarily right in front of you or coming together every single day. Mm -hmm. I think your leadership style has to change. Um, it's, it's not as easy to make those connections with people and you have to really adjust. Um, and make time to call people and, and see them and turn your cameras on and all of those types of things to be able to have those connections. Um, and also create moments and opportunities for people to come together virtually to be able to feel as though they're still a part of the team, even when we may be all see, be sitting separately. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one that many leaders have had to face and we've all had to adjust um, as, to how, as to how we work. Um, I also think throughout the pandemic, and I can speak within healthcare, um, we had to change our approach, change our policies, change our processes um, very, very quickly and without a lot of information. And I think from a leadership standpoint, um, while we make decisions very regularly, many times um, we've, uh, we have 
we have past experience possibly, or we're able to gather information that's needed to make um, a, a critical decision. I think this last year has taught that um, sometimes you have to make big decisions, critical critical um, decisions with very little information, um, and that you make the best decision given the information that you have at the time. And um, if you learn more along the way or learn different information, that it is, that it is okay to change that decision um, and make adjustments. And that is, that is such a great point. You know, talk about an industry that is very focused on data, right? It's data-based decision-making um, at its core. <laughs> That's how you develop treatment plans. That's, you know, I mean, it's, it's what you live by are those numbers. And to kind of realize that you need to flex your basic predilections, you know, your, the, um, your, your basic training uh, and make decisions with imperfect amounts of data. What a great point. Were, were there things that um, were helpful in that regard? Or was it just the urgency? It's like, we don't, we've got to decide, you know, we've got to move. Was that like, was that helpful in breaking the pattern of let's yeah. wait and collect? <laughs> it really was. I think some of the norms that we all establish as leaders, um, the, the pandemic kind of threw a lot of those out the window, right? I think regardless of what industry you're in mm-hmm. um, or what area you're focused on, you know, I think that like the work from home has been a discussion my entire career from the very first uh, organization that I worked for to, to the organization I work for now. Can we allow people to work from home? Will it work? Will we lose productivity? I think it was all those questions, right, that come up that, that likely uh, many, many leaders have faced. And I think what happened with the pandemic, it just catapulted us into that direction. We had no choice. So I think that's a, that's a real example where um, we, we had to make very quick decisions in a very, very swift uh, pace and trying to make the right decisions for both the organization, as well as our, our team members and making sure that we were taking care of them. Um, so that, that's one real example that happened very quickly, but, but many of the policies and procedures, I think your point around just how quickly they had to be done, um, caused us to maybe break some of those patterns that we have as leaders. I very much fear it caused you to break the patterns of having any work-life balance because <laughs> you, I think you were working seven days a week there for uh, long stretches of time. <laughs> for, for, for a little while, for a little while, but, but certainly, uh, so we're, so we're our frontline workers. And so, you know, on the, on the human resources side, we're there to support them so that they can, they can take care of our patients in the best way possible. And so while we were all working many, many hours, um, it really was to make sure our employees were, were taken care of in the best way possible during probably some of their most difficult times of their career. Yeah. Do, do you think, I'm curious, do you think some of this stuff is going to be sticky? In other words, are are we going to continue to have a different kind of flexibility with working at home versus being in person going forward? Do you think we're at a new normal? I absolutely think we do. And I think um, every organization is likely contemplating this or has contemplated it, right, since um, some of the uh, work from home orders have been lifted um, through the state, um, really trying to understand what they want to do to support their employees. And I think that um, organizations that 
take what I think is maybe a more hybrid approach where you're offering some opportunities to work from home, but also opportunities to come into the office, um, I believe will be more successful in the future. I, I think our teams and um, we are all used to now being able to work from home and be successful working from home. Mm -hmm. And so I think if there's this big push to go right into the office 100% of the time, I think people might be asking the question, but why? <laughs> why can't I continue this? You know, it's been working for me. It's been working for us as an organization. Um, but I do think that one of the things that is lost with 100% working from home is that ability to come together as a team and to collaborate and to build those relationships. Um, you can still do it. It's mm -hmm. just harder. And so I do think there's some opportunity to possibly bring people together in those types of ways um, on an as needed basis. But I think as organizations, we all need to be really cautious as to how we're designing this new uh, uh, work arrangement with our teams. Yeah, you, yes, you and I were talking offline before we went live here a, a little bit about that and how navigating this next part is going to be really important um, to have all those opinions at the table and design things Absolutely. that are based on people as well as organizational needs, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be bringing people in that have been living it. Right. So not just leadership making decisions, but bringing in, um, our team members that have been working from home and how having them help us think through these decisions so we can get their thoughts and opinions to make sure whatever decision is made is the right one, not only for the system, but also for our team members, I think will be critical. Well, it certainly has elevated, I think, and have all eyes on human resource leadership. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> to help organizations navigate, <laughs> navigate these tricky times. So, so speaking of tricky times, is, is, can you tell us about a time when you learned a tough leadership lesson that you might appreciate more in hindsight than you might have right at the time? You know, there's, there's two, Terry, that really came to mind as I was thinking about uh, this question. The first one I learned really early on in my career, and it is something that I live by every day. So I wasn't a leader just quite yet. I was in talent acquisition at the time and I was recruiting and I had just started working for Borders, Borders Books. I worked at their corporate headquarters at that time in Ann Arbor and I was recruiting for a position and we were going to be making an offer to an internal candidate. So I was preparing the offer and putting an email together with the current salary and the new salary and some key pieces of information. And I sent that off to the director for approval. But what I actually did is I sent it to the internal candidate that we were making the offer to. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh boy. Oh. <laughs> so as you can imagine, I had a little bit of a heart attack <laughs> and immediately called that internal candidate and said, I'm so sorry, I sent it to the wrong person. Clearly, you can see we're making an offer. And I was really early in, a, in my career at this particular point. And I think that I was at a crossroads right at that particular moment, um, because I, I don't know if anybody would have ever found out, right, that I sent the offer to that mm -hmm. candidate. Um, but at the time, um, I was very concerned. I thought, gosh, this is a really big mistake. So um, I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to do, right? 
Well, what I did is I immediately went down and walked down to that director's office and I was probably a little bit, I know I was, I was very nervous. And I walked in and I said, you know what? I, I have to tell you, I made a mistake. And oh. here's, what, here's what happened. Um, and I sent it to the internal, I, I talked with her, you know, she knows that something's coming. Um, and I remember very distinctly what this director said to me. He said, Jana, you know what? We all make mistakes. Oh. He said, the most important thing that you did is you didn't try to hide it. You just owned up to it. Yep. And it was a lesson. It was not only a leadership lesson, but just a, a per professional lesson, right? For your professional life yes. and quite honestly, your personal life too. And ever since that moment, which was probably in 1999 or 2000, I've just always lived by those words. So no matter how big the mistake is, no matter how concerned I am um, that uh, it could have detriment consequences to me, I always come forward because yeah. the worst thing I could do is try to hide it. And so that was a huge lesson for out, through, I've used throughout my whole career. What a great story. <laughs> and, and thank you for sharing it so specifically because- and you know, because because I, I could feel my stomach doing little loop because I, oh, I can imagine exactly how you felt. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, you know, 24, 25 years old was my very first you oh. know, HR job. Um, and I was just so nervous. And, I, and and it's funny, as I sit here and tell it, I, I distinctly remember it. And it was over 20 years ago. Yeah. That's how important it was in my life. My second um, second lesson came a little bit later in my career. Um, I was uh, working for a health system, not my current health system, another, and um, I was like a HR consultant. Um, and one of the projects that I was asked to work on was to help with the implementation of Epic at this particular healthcare system and um, put together change manage approach to change management. And so I came in put together this approach. I met with one of our senior, one of the senior leaders there um, and sat down and had the conversation and um, she hated it. <laughs> she really hated it. And I thought, oh no. And it was kind of a contentious conversation and I couldn't quite understand why. Right. Because mm -hmm. um, I thought it was, I thought it was a great plan. So um, I had a conversation with the chief HR officer and what happened was in my, in my mind, without really realizing it, is I kind of dug my heels in, right? I was like, you know what? This is, this is, a, this is a good plan. This is a solid mm. plan. I know it'll work. Um, I don't know what the issue is, but clearly the issue is her, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and so we sat down. I sat down with my CHRO at the time, and she gave me some really good advice. And she said, you know, John, at the end of the day, your plan might be great. It may be the exact way to go, um, but it's not working, right? It's not resonating. Um, and you really haven't taken the time to build the relationship that's needed with this particular executive mm -hmm. for her to be able to really see your point of view. And it was a real aha for me because relationship building is something I've done pretty regularly throughout my career. And it's kind of a cornerstone um, that, that I really, you know, from a career standpoint that I really focus on, but she was right. Yep. And, um, instead of kind of just trying to continue to push this plan forward, um, I went back to that senior executive. I had a conversation with her and I said, you know, I think that, um, 
I, I, I think we got off to the wrong start. And I, I wanna make sure that we're putting together the best plan for the organization and for our team members. And I kind of just wanna reset. If you're willing to reset with me, um, I would love to reset and let's, let's work on this plan together. And, and make sure it's the right one for the organization. I've, you know, and so it completely shifted and changed the whole um, trajectory of that relationship. We wound up having a great relationship through the remainder of my time there. And she became one of my advocates actually yes. Yes. Um, in the organization. And it was a real great lesson for me that sometimes you just have to pause, you have to listen and you have to change your approach, even if you may not agree with it. Mm-hmm. You have to change your approach mm-hmm. and that, and that, and that worked. And again, that's something that I, I hold with me. Oh, two really good <laughs> examples and, and specific. So it's actionable for people that are, that are listening, you know, that whole go slow to go fast. You know, if you take the time to build Absolutely. the relationships, it really does change everything down it really does and and i just love the acknowledging um that it was a rough a rough meeting and just sort of acknowledging that and saying can we reset that's powerful really is it really it's hard it's hard to do but it it can be powerful and um was absolutely the right thing to do in this situation so, so in a lot of ways, you've already answered the next question that we have, which is how do you build influence inside the workplace? And when do you know when you've built it? It sounds like it's based on those relationships. A hundred percent, Terry. I mean, relationships, I think, are key to anyone's success, um, personally and professionally. Um, and you have to take the time to build the relationships and build the trust But in addition to that, you have to drive results, right? Whatever your role is. So you have to build strong relationships, but then when you have to um, execute and you have to execute well, right? I think those are the types of things that help to build influence in an organization. Um, And it's it's something that that I think I work on very regularly um, in anything that we're executing, making sure we're taking all the right partners, that we're highly collaborative, that we're pulling in the right people to help with those decisions, um, and that we're building relationships and credibility along the way. I think that's key. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so I have just one more question in this portion. Um, do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share? Yeah, I do. And it's, it's a quote that many, many people know, but it's um, when you know better, do better, right? By Maya Angelou. And oh. it's, it's something that resonates with me because I think for, for a couple of reasons, first of all, that doesn't mean, I think it shows that you don't need to know everything all the time, right? And that you're going to make mistakes, um, but you want to be agile and you want to continue learning. And as you learn and your perspectives change, do better, change, change your decisions, change your approach. Um, and that even in my mid to late forties at this particular point, I always wanna continue to learn and grow and listen to different perspectives and change my perspective potentially as a result. So that's what that quote means to me and one um, that really resonates. I love the theme that you have going of not digging in your heels and meeting people where they are and being flexible and being willing to change. You know, 
sometimes that's the heart. That's the hardest thing. It's, it's uh, working on ourselves, right? <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as I think, as you grow and you continue to grow in your career and you, you know, you learn and you are making decisions, I think it can be very easy to get into a rut. Mm -hmm. Right. Or think that, you know, um, I have to know everything and be kind of all knowing right at this particular time in my career. And the reality is, is that's absolutely the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. um, you, you need to partner, you need to collaborate, you need to continue to learn. And when you know better, do better. So before you go, can you share with us one more story about how you used or maybe even a time when you wish you'd used a key leadership competency and why that mattered? Terry, I really think this last year has shown us how important it is to lead with empathy. Um, and I, I think that it's something that many leaders have, do, um, but I think this last year, it's really been enhanced. And, and you know, what I mean by that is, I, I say this often, is that all of us lived the pandemic very differently depending on where we were. If we were quarantined, if we were going into work every day, if our kids were now out of school, um, if we weren't able to see maybe our aging parents. So we all lived this journey on very different paths. And from a, from a leader standpoint, understanding the path that your employee has gone down and the journey that they've been on and making sure that you're listening with empathy to understand what you can do. You can't put yourself in their shoes, right? But you want to understand their perspective and their journey and help to um, make decisions that are right for them as a leader within work. And so that is definitely something that has changed in me in this past year is really uh, thinking about it from their point of view and what they need um, and putting their needs at the forefront, um, especially during this very difficult year. What a great example and what a great note to end on about the importance of leading with empathy. Um, we all can do more and do better. What, what's the Maya Angelou quote? <laughs> if you know, you better, know better, do better. Do better. So there we can apply that to, to leading with empathy. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. You know, Jana, thank you so much for taking time to join us today and sharing such great stories. You know, it's really, truly, we're grateful. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Terry. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate your time. Well, that wraps up our podcast. Please come back to informummichigan.org for more opportunities to meet her. And while you're there, check out season one, as well as meet him, a podcast series in which male leaders share what they've learned about the importance of diverse leadership. And don't forget to check out our growing library of video tips, virtual leadership development programming, and our calendar of virtual events. Thank you so much for joining us today.